Hey, and welcome to the Humanity Church Podcast. So excited that you're here. We hope that you enjoy this week's talk and it really connects to your life in a meaningful way. If you're live in the Pomona area, we would love to have you at one of our gatherings at 10 a.m. or at one of our humanity groups that meet all throughout the week all over the city. If you want more information about our community, you can go to www.humanitychurch.com or download our app on your phone on Apple or Android. If you like what you're hearing here and want to continue to support the ongoing work at Humanity, you can text the word Humanity Church, one word, to 77977 and give back financially in just about 10 seconds. Hey, and here's this week's talk that was given live at our Sunday gathering at Humanity Church. Hey everyone, this is Pastor Nathan, excited to have you with us for this week's podcast. Wanted to let you know that last Sunday, 10 minutes before we went live, the internet went completely out at the Fox Theater, and so we were unable to live stream with our normal equipment. Because of that, we had to capture video and audio in the back of the auditorium from an iPhone. So needless to say, this week's quality is not optimal for your listening pleasure. Uh, With that, our sound team did the best they could to salvage the audio, and so this is what we got. So enjoy this week's podcast, and know that we will be back with amazing audio quality, as always. Enjoy this week's podcast. Well, we're going to start a new series today called Proof of Life, and we're going to talk about what it looks like to be fully alive for the next few weeks. You know, it's interesting, because whenever you go to the doctor or you go into a hospital, the very first thing they will always do is take your vitals. And so they'll take a look at things like your temperature and your blood pressure and your pulse and your respiratory rate. Then these are telltale signs that lets a physician know that, well, you're, you're operating okay. That if your temperature's off or if your blood pressure's off or if your vitals are off in some way, shape, or form, it lets them know, hey, there's something off in terms of the life that they're looking at there. But here's the thing. We, we all know that life is far more than just our physical attributes. We know that life is is way more than just our vital signs. We know that life is more than oxygen levels and temperatures and and blood pressures, that there's so much that exists beyond that. In fact, the scriptures, we have these two words for life. We have this root word bios, which talks about our physical existence. That talks about things like our vital signs, like the fact that there's blood pumping through our veins and there's oxygen going through our lungs and that we have a temperature that is at a certain level. Then that has southern word Zoe that refers to our spiritual life. It refers to this to the life that we can't measure with vital signs, but that can be measured with mental health and our spiritual vitality. It's what oftentimes we say when we feel fully alive. We're not saying our vital signs are all good. When we say we're fully alive, what we mean is that there's this life inside of us that is that is thriving. And when we talk about that life, we're talking about this aspect of, of Zoe. See, the, the problem is that when it comes to that life, when we say that we're fully alive, that we're drained of life, the problem with that is there aren't a lot of vital signs to check in on. You know when someone's physically alive or not, but how do we actually check in to find out if we're spiritually alive in this? And see, here's the scary thing, is that we can be completely filled with bios, physical life, and it can be completely void of zombie, of spiritual life. In other words, we can be functioning as a living human being and completely dead in the middle of this, like the walking dead. You know, I'm a five and a half year old who plays a lot of Minecraft, so zombies are oftentimes a conversation in our house, and it's a topic that comes up often. And you know, I've always wondered, are zombies self-aware? 
Like, do they know that they're zombies, right? Or are they just void of that? Are they aware that they have passed on and now are in the pursuit of brains? Or are they uh, empty of that? See, because I think that so many of us, we, we may be in that category where we're dead and not know it. Or maybe where our life is being drained from us and we're not aware of it until we find ourselves in a dire situation or we find ourselves stuck or we find ourselves emotionally depleted or we find ourselves in a space where we can't move forward. And so it would be nice to know what are the vital signs to be fully alive because it might be able to give us a diagnostic on where we're missing it and what's needed to move forward. I want to take us to this book over the next few weeks called First John that gives us so many proofs of life that we can look at. It gives us the vital signs for what it means to be fully alive. So we're going to look at First John chapter 1, starting at verse 1, where John talks about what it looks like to be fully alive. And he says this in John, 1 John 1, 1 through 4, That which is from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with you, which with the Father has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to you to make our joy complete. I love how John talks about life. See, because when he talks about it, he talks about it as if it's life personified. He talks about it, he says, he says this is life that we have seen, that we have heard, that we have touched, that we proclaim. For him, life was this physical element that he engaged in. See, when he's talking about life, he's not saying, my life, my heart is beating. My skin is 98.4 degrees. My blood pressure is right on point. No, when he talks about life, he's talking about it not as a mere biological experience, but he talks about life as it's something that he's interacting with, as it's something that he is engaging on a regular basis in his life personified. And like I said, for the next six weeks, we're going to go through his, his writings, looking at what are the vital signs of life, what are the proofs that you are actually fully living, and how we can step into that, and what it looks like. Because what I have found is that so many people all around us seem to be missing it. There are so many people that I interact with on a regular basis who, who may not say, I'm dead inside, but they say things like, man, I feel stuck or I feel like things have been drained out of me, or I just feel like I don't have what I need to move forward, or I feel like there's something that I'm missing. Like, I know there's more available, but I don't know how to access it here and now, and so I'm just existing in the middle of this. And maybe some of you do feel fully alive. Maybe you're here and you're like, that's not me. I wake up in the morning and I am just thriving. And this is an important conversation for you because here's the thing is there are people all around you who may be searching for life, and who are searching for someone who can say, I have the vital signs for you. I can point you to life and how to step into that space. And here's the thing. The end game that John tells us, after finding life, once we have stepped into that space, once we have found those vitals, once we have stepped into these proofs, he said that the end product of life is this, joy. How many this morning be like, sign me up for some more joy? You're like, but I, I, yeah, I can use some more joy in life. And this is the beautiful thing that John says, look, I'm going to tell you how to have life. 
I'm going to tell you, this is exactly how you interact with life, how you engage in life, how you live life fully alive. And he said, I'm going to tell you all of this so that your joy may be complete. And this conversation is not just a conversation about life. It's a conversation around joy and how we find that. In 2009, I was invited to go to Kabul, Afghanistan on a trip to go train a bunch of coaches in StrengthsFinder. Little did I know that I would be meeting my wife there. Uh, but then I was just going on an adventure at that point. See, some, some husbands talk about their smoking hot wife. I had a smoking hot wife, but I had a pretty cool wife because she was living in Kabul, Afghanistan, doing anti-terrorist work for the State Department as an anti-terrorist strategy. So, you know, shout out to the mother of my children. But in order to get to Afghanistan in the middle of a war, you would imagine there was a lot of red tape that you had to go through, including sending your passport off to the Afghan consulate in Washington, D.C. with a letter of recommendation from the company letting them know that they were inviting me. And so I sent my passport off months in advance to get my visa, to get secured by the State Department to make sure that I'm free to go. Send off my passport. Don't hear from them. Don't hear from them for a long, long time. Actually, I don't hear from them until about two weeks before my trip. And I call the Afghan consulate. I pick up the phone. They pick up the phone after about an hour of being on hold. And I said, hi, um, I just wanted to see uh, about my passport that I sent in. And they said, no, oh, it's good, it's good, it's good, we have you. And I said, that's strange. You don't even know my name. <laughs> and they said, oh, don't worry, we have it. And I once again said, well, I would feel much more comfortable if I told you my name so that you know if you do have it. And we had multiple conversations around that. And there was no passport, and there was no passport, and there was no passport. And it came down to be three days before I was leaving, and there was still no passport. came down to be two days before I was leaving. And then it came down to the day before I left for Afghanistan. No passports. So I'm looking up what I need to do. I'm frantic now. How am I going to get into this country that you need so much red tape or clearance to get into? And so I go down to the federal building, and I find out that if you get there early enough, you can get a same-day emergency passport. And so I get there at 5 a.m., I'm in line, door opens. They say, no, sorry, we can't do that. I said, no, you absolutely will. Give me an emergency passport. And after a lot of back-and-forth negotiating, they get me in line. I go into the federal building. Now, what I didn't tell you is that I've lost my passport once before and have gone through this exact same process once before. So when I get to the line, I'm pulled into a back room there where they say, excuse me, sir, can you explain to us why you need two emergency passports within three years? I said, I swear, I swear I am not a spy. I swear I'm good. I just, I lost it in the Philippines once, and now the Afghan consulate has it. I don't know where it's at. They have assured me multiple times that it's there. And after negotiating in the back room at the federal department, they said, all right, we're going to give you one last passport. If you lose this, it's done. So do not lose this passport. I got my passport. And then I go out and I realize I need to get a visa to get into Afghanistan tomorrow. And then I look up where is the closest Afghan consulate. Luckily, it's Wilshire down in Hollywood. And so I get in my car. I go there. I go inside. They assure me they cannot get me a visa that day. And I am very frustrated. And I'm saying, look, I've negotiated with a guy at the door. I've negotiated with like, the people at the federal department. I will negotiate with you in that space. And this is when I found out about this Afghan word called bakshish which is basically like, slip us a hundred and we'll make sure you get whatever you need done. <laughs> and so 
I slipped him a hundred and they magically got my passport and my, and my visa and everything that I needed to do. And then after that, I held on to that passport with dear life because I was going to get on that airplane. But it was a process to get to that space. And you know, here's the thing what I find so much that sometimes life feels just like that journey. It feels like there's this destination that I'm trying to get to. There is this future that I am committed to have, and it seems like every single time I try to step into it, there's another locked door. And every single time I try to go and to step into the life that I know I was designed to live, there's another barricade. There's another someone telling me I can't. There's another circumstance or situation that falls in my lap that says, no, this is not possible, and we wonder if we're ever actually going to make it. And when we find ourselves there wondering how on earth am I going to find life, we start externalizing the need for life, thinking that we'll find it somewhere out there. And so we find ourselves engaging in things like religion. And we think, well, if I do enough good things, and if I'm just a good person, and if I get all my bad habits under control, if I light enough candles, if I say enough chants, if I go to enough prayer meetings, if I do enough things, then somehow I'll find life, and then we're left void with that. Or then you think, man, if I can just figure out this like from a scientific space, if I can just figure out how life operates and how this works, then, then I can find myself there and it doesn't work when we find ourselves there. Then we think that if I just have enough stuff, if I acquire enough things in life, then, then maybe I, I will find myself there and then I would find myself in a space where I had enough. So interesting, I, I was reading an article by a billionaire just this last week and they said, I wish that every single person on the planet could earn a billion dollars just to find out that it actually does not buy happiness. Wow. And then we think of money, right? If I just have enough money, then I'll have the security I need to move forward. And you know, studies have been done over and over and over again that say the cap for happiness is $75,000. That study has said, once you hit that mark, there's like a plateau of happiness. So look, if you're going to strive, just strive to 75,000 and call it a day, right? Don't shoot for the million. Just 75 grand, kick back and eat Taco Bell, right? Because it's going to be the same level of life and happiness that you're looking for in the middle of that. And then we think if I just get the right people in my life, if I just get the right people that can support me and be around me and connect with me, then somehow I'll find happiness in life. And we find over and over and over again that everything falls short and it feels like this exhausted journey that is not only filled with all kinds of barriers, but that everything we try seems to not get us even close to the life that we're longing for. And what I love about Jesus is that what Jesus informs us of in the scriptures and what John is talking about here in his letters is he's actually saying is that Jesus has come to offer us a passport to life. He's basically saying, here's the passport that you've been looking for to step into the life that you have been longing for from the day that you stepped on this planet. And it is a dimension of living that we cannot enter into ourselves. Yeah. It's nothing that will be found. Yeah. It is something that will be given. And this is why when John talks about life, he says, I saw life. I saw it with my eyes. I heard it with my ears. I, I touched it. I, I'm proclaiming it because what he is saying is he says, I saw Jesus and I saw life itself and I touched life and I met with Jesus. I had this renewed sense of meaning in life and it transformed everything. And what I love about John is when you read his opening statements, there's an urgency to him. There's this like, I've tasted, I've seen, I've touched, I've heard, I'm proclaiming to you this life that is available to you here and now because there is this 
urgency that exists within people who have touched life and that have heard life and that are proclaiming life because once you have touched and heard and seen, there is something inside of you that transforms forever. And here's the beautiful thing, is that when you read the scriptures, when you, when you read the teachings of Jesus, when you read through his proclamation about life over and over and over again, you get this message of, look, I don't want to simply make you believe different things. That is called religion. I'm not interested in getting you to just believe the right things. What he is saying is that, look, when you meet with me, you will see life for what it is. And you will experience life for what it can be and was designed to be and should be. And in that, everything will be transformed. See, Jesus came to change not only your perspective, but to change your whole emotional, physical, mental, spiritual experience of life itself. So that we might be able to say, I've touched it, I've heard it, I've tasted it, I proclaim it, because it is existing all around me and in me in the middle of this. The, the interesting thing about the life of Jesus, too, is that when he met his disciples, the, the men and women that followed him and then were engaged in his mission, they actually thought that they had life. And they found it in so many areas. In fact, when, when he called them, they informed him of the life that they already had found. And they were like, no, 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 I got a business. You don't understand. My business is going really good. I got a career that's thriving and things are going really well. And I don't know if I can leave this. Someone like, no, no, I'm a fisherman. This is what I do. That's all I've ever known. And actually, it's pretty good life. I get the money I need. It's what I've known. It's been in the family forever. Some of them are like, yeah, I've got parties to go to. I, I, they were doctors who had people that they were taking care of and medicine that they were studying in the middle of that. And really, not much has changed between then and now. When Jesus calls us into following him, he says, look, I am interested in bringing you to life. I'm interested in you experiencing the most abundant life that you could ever believe. We, we oftentimes give him the same thing. Look, I have something that's faster and taller and bigger and better than what you're offering. And we think we know what life is until we meet Jesus, who is life. And then everything transforms in the middle of us. See, what I love about Jesus is that he helps us see the difference between counterfeit life and authentic life. Because there's a huge difference, and it's easy to fall for one of the other. I, I spent some time studying how people who find counterfeit bills and who find counterfeit checks and who find counterfeit documents do what they do. And you would think that those who, who are like experts at detecting counterfeit money would spend a lot of time with counterfeit bills, studying them, looking at them, engaging what a counterfeit looks like, and so when they can see it, they can know exactly what it looks like. But you know what people who are experts in detecting counterfeit bills do? They almost exclusively study the real thing. They will spend hours and hours and hours feeling the paper and looking at the ink and seeing where things are and studying it meticulously so that they know the real thing so that when they feel the counterfeit, they instantly know because they've spent time with the authentic. Yeah. And in the same way, when, when Jesus comes into our life and we connect to him, it is like connecting to the real thing. And all of a sudden, anything that is counterfeit just feels so off. 
It feels so unsatisfactory to the life that we know we were meant to live. I, one of the things I, obviously this is a horrible thing to admit as a pastor, but one of the things that I love doing when I go overseas is buying knockoff things. Like <laughs> watches and wallets and things like that, you know, the Louis Vuittons, or, you know, like, they're both like Louis Vuittons over there, you know, and, uh, I got a few Roy bands in the closet, you know, and, but one of the things that, one of the things that I really like buying is counterfeit watches, because I can look really fancy, uh, and I don't have to spend all the money on them, and I, le- I actually learned that I have very expensive taste in watches, because I didn't know much about watches, but then when I would buy watches, I would find out later they were the most expensive ones, and and I know that because I would wear them to places like LA, or in Hollywood, or places like that when I was out, and people would come up to me and they'd go, where did you get that watch? And I didn't want to say I bought it at a like night market in Thailand, right? So I would just be like, oh yeah, I like it too. You know, I kind of keep my dealer hush hush, you know. <laughs> they don't really like word getting out. It's kind of a private thing exchange, you know. And and then they would start asking me questions about the watch. And I'd be like, Oh yeah, this that that is that. Tell me more about what you you see, you know. Uh, and, and and I found myself oftentimes with really awkward predicaments because eventually I'd have to be like, yeah, this is a knockoff from India or someplace like that because I could not handle being in there. See, I had grown so accustomed to being with the knockoffs that when people who knew the real thing had a conversation with me, I couldn't handle myself. And I think that so many of us have grown accustomed to the counterfeit life that we're engaging in, that when real life comes to us, we can't even recognize it, that we don't even know how to interact with it, that we don't even know how to engage it, because we've grown so accustomed to faking it that we're unaware that there's real life that's available to us. We just think that it's outside of our reach. Yeah, that's good. See, at best, what you and I have without God is being called existence. At worst, the scriptures call it death. And Ephesians 2.1 says this, it says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. It's pretty like a hardcore statement right there, right? And then, then if you read other scriptures, it says all have sinned, so that means all of us were dead in our transgressions and sins. Now, here's the thing. You can easily read that and think that's extremely judgmental. Like that's, that's a really judgmental thing to say, that you were dead in your sins and transgressions. But let me just ask you, have you ever experienced something dead? We have a dog who constantly brings dead things into our bed. I know, it's gross. You can, you can judge me. It's okay, right? But blue jays, lizards, squirrels, mice. Don't worry, we wash the sheets, all right? But... But I can't tell you how many times Marla and I have come into our bedroom and just, oh, Storm's got something, right? And there have been times where there's like blue jay feathers everywhere, and it's like, oh, yeah. And within a couple, like when we can't find it, within a couple days, we find it because of the rancid smell in our house from the dead thing that the dog brought in. Now here's the thing. If your soul was in that type of condition, that type of rot and smell, would you want to know? Yeah. Would you want to know? <laughs> Have you ever had someone give you like a really hard truth that you didn't really want to hear but you were grateful for? 
I mean, how many of you have ever gone your entire day and you get home and you realize there's stains on your clothes or there's a booger hanging out of your nose and you're like, who did, why didn't people not tell me, right? I was around coworkers and friends and no one had the guts to tell me, right? Actually, it's the compassionate people who are like, dude, you gotta fix that, right? <laughs> I mean, I thank God for the people in junior high who are like, Nate, you put on some deodorant, right? Right now. It's, it's an act of compassion to inform people about what's going on in them. And see, when you look at this, you can certainly look at it as a judgmental statement of God saying, you were dead in your sins, and everyone sins, therefore everyone's dead in this. But here's the thing, when God says you were dead in your sins, he is not pointing fingers at you. He is compassionately informing you of a reality. He doesn't leave us there. He's like, look, you're dead. No judgment. No judgment about that. But he's saying, now let's, now let's step into the life that you were made to live, that your soul knows that you were made for. See, Jesus didn't come to, to make you a good person. He didn't come to make you a little better. He wasn't, when Jesus came for us and he died for us and he came back to life for us, he wasn't like, you know what? I'm going to take... Your, your counterfeit existence, and make it just a little bit better. He wasn't even like, I'm just going to give you a little bit more to satisfy your need. He didn't even say, I'm going to give you something like a little different from what you had in the middle of this. What he said, he's like, look, I have come to transform everything and to make you new so that you have a completely renewed experience of this life. Jesus came to interrupt the death that was in us so that we might fully step into this life that he has brought us. And actually, John, later on in chapter 5, starting in verse 11, says this, and this is the testimony God has given us eternal life. Yeah. So he's actually saying, look, here's the testimony that I'm trying to get to you. God has given you eternal life. So he, he may say on one page, all are dead in your sins and your transgressions. But then he next paragraph says, look, this is the testimony. Now you have life available to you. Yeah. So he's not like saying, you're staying here. He's like, you need to be aware of this fact so that you know that this gift that I'm giving you is actually pertinent to you. It's actually very important to you. And then he says this. And this is the and, uh, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. I know I talk about this verse quite a bit. We talked about it on Easter real fast, but it is so critical in the middle of this because this is what differentiates Jesus from all other religious systems, including Christianity. Because most religious systems operate as like a signpost, and they're like over there. That's life. And they point to some external thing that will move you towards life. If you do these things, if you engage in these activities, if you refrain from this, then you will find life. Or they operate as a checklist. Check off all these things, and then you'll be a good person, and God will be okay with you, and then you can find life. Some work is like insurance, like, hey, if you just do this, then you'll be insured, and you'll have eternity with God. But what Jesus says, he's like, look, it's super simple. I am life. And so, if you have me, you have life. He it's just like a constant message. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It says the thief comes to steal and kill, but I have come to give you life. And that's what he's up to. Yeah. And we just complicate things. I remember two years ago, we got a ring doorbell for Christmas because there's people in our house all the time, and I thought it might be good to know who they are. Uh, so... 
So uh, we got this ring doorbell, and it's a rechargeable thing that you have to recharge every two months or so. And so we got the ring doorbell in there. Two months later, you have to recharge the thing. Now I go, two little screws to unscrew it, and I'm literally like trying to figure out how to get the ring doorbell off of the little hook. And I'm sitting there for a good like 45 minutes. I'm, I'm like pushing it, I'm like pulling it this way, I'm scraping, I'm doing everything I can. I finally go get a butter knife, and I'm like trying to jam the thing out, and then I get on YouTube, which is where you should go first for all things. <laughs> and like, one of the first videos actually says, do not use a knife. Now I'm like, okay, that was screwed, right? And I, I realized enough idiots like me used a butter knife to try to get the door, ring doorbell off, that they had to make a YouTube video saying, do not use a butter knife. <laughs> And then I watched the video on how to take off the ring doorbell, and it just says, pull up. I'm like, are you kidding me? So I go to the ring doorbell, and it says, put your hand on top, put your hand on the bottom, and pull up. And guess what? I pulled up, popped right off. I was like, I just spent 45 minutes tugging on this thing, hitting, I had a butter knife out there. I mean, I'm sure if you got a recording of it, I could put that on YouTube and make a couple hundred dollars off of that. But here's the thing, we complicate things so easy all the time. And oftentimes we ask ourselves these questions like, how do I come to God? How can I find life? And how can I find meaning? And how can I step into the purpose and existence and passion that I know my soul is calling me into? And I have to find this. And it's through Jesus. Jesus is like just a pull up. That's what he says. Jesus is like, no, there's nothing magic to this. There's no striving. There's nothing you have to figure out. There's no secret formula. There's nothing that happens in the back room. There's no secret handshake that you need to know to get into it. It's a lot easier than you think. He just says, if you have me, you have life. And there are certain vitals that once you've connected to Jesus are present in there. They're like tests to tell you that your soul has been awakened. And so we're going to go over these over the next five weeks. You're not going to want to miss these because these are going to be like key vital signs to inform you of if you are alive. We're going to talk about the light test and asking the question, are you willing to live life in the open? Because when you are fully alive, shame and judgment does not have a hold on you. Come on. And you can fully step out of that. We're going to talk about the passion test that John talks about in the scriptures. We're going to ask the question, what do you care about and can you actually control it? Because when you are alive, you will foster things in your life that will maintain that life. We're going to talk about the truth test and ask the question, what actually informs your worldview and how you see things? Because when you are alive, you know the matrix for life. And it's actually pretty clear for us. We're going to talk about the world test and asking the question, where are you living from? Because when you are alive, you will always live life from the future, making decisions towards the present, not the present, trying to make decisions from your future. And then we're going to lastly talk about the love test. How much are you willing to sacrifice? All right, because when you are alive, you recognize that love and sacrifice and life are all linked together in the middle of this. And at the end of the day, you might know without a doubt that you are fully alive in Christ. And then at least know the signs to look for. At least know the vitals to test all of these things by that by being fully alive, your joy might be complete. Why? 
Because here's what I'm convinced of, is that you were designed to be fully alive. Yeah. You were made to be fully alive. <laughs> and that when, when you find that life, joy is the natural byproduct of this. And you will find the life you are meant to live. I imagine that in this room there are four different types of people here. And I want to talk to each of you as we close out here. See, there are some of you who have found life and you know joy. That you, you're just like, man, I found life, I found it in Jesus, and I know joy. And this, this conversation over the next six weeks is going to be super vital to you. Because you're going to be like messengers to your workplace, to your schools, to your families, to your neighborhoods, saying, look, I found it. You're going to be like John saying, I've heard, I've tasted, I've seen, I'm proclaiming. And you're going to be like messengers of the proof of life, bringing that everywhere you go. There's some of you probably in here who have found faith, but you haven't found life or joy yet. And you're like, I believe. I've stepped into this space with Jesus, and I believe, but I, I don't know this like life that I hear you talk about. And I certainly don't have the joy that you're talking about. And if this is you, it's awesome because you're going to take your faith to the next level. And you're going to be experiencing something really, really powerful over the next few weeks. That there are probably some of you who see a real disconnection between faith and life. And maybe it's what's getting in the way of you fully stepping into and committing into a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're like, hey, I... I, I, like Jesus seems enticing, but I don't see how following him equates to life because when I look at his followers, I don't see a lot of life. I don't know if I see a lot of joy. And I'm telling you that despite what you may have experienced or any hurt that you've experienced in life, I can promise you that if you're willing to take a leap of faith, you will find the joy in life you're looking for. And finally, there just may be some of you in this room who are still searching. And maybe you're trying all kinds of things to find life, to make yourself feel even anything. And over the next few weeks, I'm going to invite you to do a journey of these proofs of life. That, that I'm, going to, I'm going to dare you to try them on and just see if you might actually find life at the end. If your life might fully come alive with you. And that you would move from bios to Zoe because of not only a connection to Jesus, but because of the life that he brings. Because he is life. Just close your eyes with me real fast. This morning, if you're here and you're listening to this and you're like, man, I I don't I, I, I like this life, I know, I know, I know that I need this. I'm searching for it, I long for it. And I just haven't found it yet. Maybe you're one of those people who have found Jesus and you haven't found life yet. And Jesus wanted to take you there. Maybe you're one of those people who are still searching and you're like, I have tried a lot of things and it hasn't come to pass yet, so I'm willing to try anything. And today Jesus is just calling to you, saying, I am life if you would just be willing to step into that. And I know some of you probably have a lot of history with people who call themselves Christians or the movement of Jesus. Maybe there's a lot of misconceptions about who he is, but I'm going to invite you into a relationship with life today. And his name is Jesus.
And if that's you this morning, if you're here live with us or if you're online, I'm going to give you an opportunity to connect with him. And it's really simple. It's just a pull up. It's just a prayer. And it's saying, God, I want to be in a relationship with you. I want that life. With your eyes closed, if you're here this morning, you're like, man, I'm, I'm ready to step into that life. Maybe for the first time in a long time or for the first time ever, would you just raise your hand? Say, I'm ready to find life. Awesome. Who else? Awesome. Who else? Yeah, all of you. I want you just to pray this prayer with me. It's just no, not, no magic words. Just you connect me, Jesus. I want you just pray, dear Jesus, I give you my life. I make you Lord of my life. And I ask that you would give me your life. I know you died for me and that you came back to life so that I could live. So I make you Lord today. I thank you. I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining us on the Humanity Church Podcast. We hope that this was a meaningful experience and we look forward to connecting again next week for another conversation around what it looks like to live by faith, to be known by love, and to be a voice of hope. Again, for more information about Humanity Church, you can visit us online at humanitychurch.com. And if you want to support the ongoing work here at Humanity Church, including this podcast, you can give online in about 10 seconds by texting the word Humanity Church, one word, to 77977. Thanks and have an amazing week.